Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Today's episode is brought to you by the WT Enterprise Center, an essential part of Amarillo's entrepreneurial community. For more than 15 years, the center has been helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. You can learn more or get help taking your business to the next level at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Also, get out your calendar and save this date, Saturday, August 3rd. That's the day of the first ever Hey Amarillo Beer Fest at Starlight Ranch Event Center. This is a one-day afternoon and evening event that's designed to celebrate the local craft beer scene. And it'll feature breweries like Six Car and Pondacetta all in one place, offering tastings of their craft beer. We'll even have some Lubbock breweries there. And yes, it's got Hey Amarillo's name on it, so if you listen, I hope you'll come join us. Watch for ticket details and more information coming soon. Today's guest is Justin Howe. Justin is a local entrepreneur who has his hand in a bunch of different businesses. You may have seen him on TV pitching granite countertops with Adobe Walls Stoneworks, which he owns. He also owns the local Dickies Barbecue franchise, and he's the owner of Texas Tea, which has two Amarillo locations. And over the last year or so, Justin has been working to turn Amarillo's love for flavored iced tea, uh, you, you see it at Texas Tea and the lines out the door there, but to turn that into a franchise model that's now spreading across the South under the name HTO. So Justin stopped by the studio for a conversation about his entrepreneurial path, about the local business environment, and how he has used Amarillo as his home base to launch a brand new franchising concept across the United States. So here's Justin Howe. Justin Howe, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks hey, for being here. You bet, you bet. Yeah, this is exciting. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad you do it. I know you listen to a lot of podcasts, and so uh, have you been on one before? Is this your, your this, first? Yeah, this will be my second one, Okay, actually. second yeah, one. Yeah, what was the bet. other one you were on? Uh, it's a, the Franchise Manual podcast. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, so we'll get into some of that stuff, I think. But before we talk like about the franchises and you know your entrepreneurial stuff, I just want to kind of hear your story. So tell me how you ended up in this area in the first place. Yeah, so I was born in Amarillo, went to high school here, graduated high school, went right into uh, aircraft mechanic school at TSTC, and then as soon as I qualified for financial aid, I went to flight school to be a professional pilot, basically. Was that the goal at yeah, that point? I, yeah, I always wanted to be a pilot, yeah. I was, as a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. You know, I grew up with entrepreneurs as parents, and they had restaurants. My mom owned Slick's Hair Center over on 34th and Coulter, and and uh, grew up knowing that, you know, I, I didn't grow up, you know, seeing people go to college and get a job. I grew up knowing that as soon as I got out of college, I would start a business. Okay. Uh, that, that was just our family. So, yeah, I went to I went to college to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot. I didn't want to work in the restaurant. I didn't want to do construction. My dad was in the uh, construction business. Had a, He was a general contractor and had a cabinet shop. And so I uh, went to flight school to be a pilot. And that was the goal. What was it about um, being a pilot that kind of turned you on early? Traveling, and I, I'm kind of a gearhead. I like things with engines and just thought, you know, that would be the coolest thing ever. And, and uh, I, I like to play with remote control airplanes as a kid and just loved anything that had an engine. So I thought that was, you know, that was the, the goal. Okay. How, so how long before that goal kind of shifted? It was uh, as soon as I got back from college, really. My dad had a cabinet shop here in town called Adobe Walls Woodworks. He had had some health trouble. He had uh, been recently diagnosed with prostate cancer and uh, MS. 
And so he was kind of winding his business down. And, you know, that, there was an opportunity there. He had uh, uh, Adobe Walls Woodworks. He had started doing some granite countertops as a general contractor and his cabinet shop just kind of made sense. They were doing, you know, one, one set of countertops a month or something. And, uh, he had, he had been talking about selling, uh, his cabinet shop as a granite business to someone. And, and the guy that he was, uh, approached by that he was kind of courting for this, I didn't really, really feel good about, you know, and I thought, man, this is, uh, you know, uh, being in business before college, I, I own Snowballs Over Texas over on 34th and Bell in front of Buns Over Texas. Okay. I ran like that. Just a little uh, snow cone shop. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I had had some experience. You know, I, I mowed a bunch of yards before college and had the snow cone stand and had nine employees and filed my own 941 taxes for employment taxes and kind of had, as at 17, you know, kind of had – the immediate confidence I knew that I could go into business and would go into business. And so when my dad was talking to this guy about selling his granite business, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's the right thing for him, you know? And so I started to look into it and yeah, I made it happen. So I bought that from him. I took my in-laws out to, to lunch one day and, and they had recently retired from Diamond Shamrock in San Antonio and moved back to Amarillo, my wife's parents. Amy and I got married in college took them to lunch and they had two cars that were paid for. They had a brand new Suburban and a brand new Chevy truck. I talked them into letting me borrow 20 grand against their cars. Wow. Yeah. And I uh, gave my dad 10 to, to pay for the granite business. And then I took the other 10 and started figuring out how to sell countertops. And okay. so I kind of got thrust into that at the same time I was a flight instructor and and basically built that business as a professional pilot. I mean, I flew professionally up until June of 2015, actually. So built that granite business, Adobe Wall Stoneworks, and started in 2002 and still have it today. So didn't think I was going to go into the construction world, but, you know, circumstances, uh, my dad's health and such, you know, just kind of took me in a different direction and great business. So I know that there were a number of like different smaller opportunities you had or side gigs or different things that happened in that process. So tell me about a few of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got early on in the granite business, you know, I, I was struggling, didn't have a lot of cash, didn't have workman's comp. I had a, I had a kid get hurt. They sued me, uh, scared me to death. It wasn't that big a deal at the time, but it, as but a no, young, that's scary. As a young kid, lawyers come scared, to scared me to death. Yeah. And so I immediately thought, well, I better go start some other businesses in case this doesn't work out. And I didn't have anything at the time. It was such a struggling venture anyway. Uh, but I started building homes, actually, um, convinced a bank here in town to loan me some money to buy some lots. And my dad had been a general contractor. My stepdad, who owns Buns Over Texas, had built quite a few houses on his own. And so I uh, went into building houses. And uh, that was a great uh, about 11-year run here. We built quite a few homes under the name Texas Premier Homes. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was just one of the biggest. Uh, we had a swimming pool company, had a hot tub business, uh, done all kinds of different things in the construction realm, just trying to see what might work. But ultimately, the granite business uh, has been the anchor for me, you know, to be able to do all the things we do now. So did you get to a point where you always looked at it as I'm going to do a bunch of different things and see which one of them sticks? Or was it just I'm going to diversify in as many opportunities as I can because 
in this economy, you need to have all those different arms reaching out into different industries. Yes, absolutely. I'd always studied and kind of been under the teaching that, you know, multiple streams of revenue. Go back to the 80s. My dad nearly went out of business, you know, in the 80s when the market crashed and builders nearly put him out of business as a subcontractor. And uh, just with the different uh, economy swings, and then I came right into September 11th, and gosh, the the pilot market went through the floor. If you, I don't know if yeah, you remember that, yeah. but I was a flight instructor during September 11th, and if it weren't for my colorblindness, I would likely be in the military. But um, I, I looked into going to the military to fly, and and they wouldn't allow me to fly. So, but yeah, man, just the the turmoil in the economy, and and knowing what happened with savings and loans in the 80s, and just different things. I thought, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it's really almost irresponsible to try to do it in, in one, you know, all eggs in one basket kind of a deal. But I, I was definitely a little reckless in the beginning and a little a little optimistic, you know, made some poor decisions. But, you know, it was all part of the learning process. And Do you do you feel like Amarillo, and, and you can speak about it, whether it's now or, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is it a good place to like experiment with those kinds of Small business opportunities hoping to grow them into something bigger? Honestly, I can't think of a better market to, to try that in because we have, you know, as you know, a couple hundred thousand people in the in the area and it's also small enough to where you actually can build relationships and, and be known or know people. And, and so, yeah, I think it's a fantastic market to try anything from a small business standpoint. I mean, we, we, we're looking at businesses in all different states and different cities now and Amarillo is definitely a, a little sweet spot. Tell me, so tell me about what you're doing now. The main focus now is in uh, Texas Tea, which we've rebranded HTO for a national rollout. So it started in Amarillo That's as right. Texas Tea That's right. with a couple of locations. That's what right. year was that? Uh, in 2007, 2008, we started to discuss the idea. My parents owned Buns Over Texas, and we had several other restaurants at the time. You know, at, at my store uh, at Adobe Walls, my girls would go to the chicken store down the street and get sweet tea. And mm-hmm. and then, of course, water's still here in town. And, and so the hamburger sales were kind of flat as the market started to stumble in, in that time, 2007, 2008. So we were just initially uh, wanted to add some flavored tea to boost hamburger sales. And then uh, with the market crash, uh, absolutely positively, Texas Tea or HTO wouldn't be here without the, the Great Recession, I guess you'd call it. And so Why when, is that? When that happened, uh, we were a tenant in a national landlord center, Puckett okay. Plaza, that was owned by a national landlord, a very sophisticated real estate investor. My parents had approached them multiple times about buying that 35,000 square feet in front of the buns that was in the end cap okay. there, which yeah. is now the cupcake place. And they, of course, wouldn't even consider it. But when they got to 60 per- 60% occupancy in that center and the market was in turmoil, Thankfully, my parents were financially stable enough to expand into what we call a contracting market, which is, as you know, where a lot of entrepreneurs make a lot of money. And so we were able to buy that 35,000 square feet. And initially, we thought, let's put the T-store on the end. And so we built a 1,200-square-foot end cap. My construction company built the building. Uh, we built the 1,200-foot uh, T-store on the end. And, and originally, we thought, man, if we could do a couple hundred dollars a day in sales, we can pay the rent on the whole building. Right, so right. it's a great idea. But I wasn't a part of it at that time time I didn't have any ownership it was just my parents and when we get around we always talk about business and how to get sales up or you know how to do things different especially in the restaurant world you're always having to reinvent yourself and so uh, something that I've studied you know is what why people put menu items on the menu for a month and then pull them off it seems like that's 
counterintuitive, but yeah. it's actually just it's just an attempt to rebrand themselves on a daily basis, and that's what we have to do in the restaurant business. And so when we opened that store, it was a success, and and it was continued to, to grow and and get better. And so along in about 2011, 2012, so that store opened in in 2009, and so along about 2011, 2012, my mom was my my stepdad, and my mom were like, man, this tea business is really taken off we should look at this and so I, I i didn't really believe in the tea business to be honest i mean it's the only one i mean in terms of uh if you look at the the national economy the iced tea industry basically started in amarillo texas yeah and so, so you you kind of saw that your employees went out and got tea and you thought there might be something here but it's not like you did a big demographic survey and thought well there's a hole here we nope, need to fill not this. at all that's exactly right so if you think back to starbucks you know when when starbucks started the coffee uh, industry was inside of pancake houses or breakfast shops, yeah, you know? And so yeah. uh, when Starbucks took it out of the breakfast shop and said, we're only going to sell coffee, people thought they were crazy. We we just happened to have economically a, a situation that allowed us to try it without really having to spend a bunch of capital. Hmm. So it worked. And then uh, I, I didn't really believe in it, but I was also not a dummy. And so I, I was paying attention to the numbers and the success and thought, you know, this really may, may be something here. And so we formed a partnership at that time, 2012, I believe, um, me and my parents. And so we're 50-50. And uh, we went to hunt real estate for what I call our first prototype store, which is the Wolfland and Georgia store. Okay. And so I'm pretty particular in terms of design and merchandising and, and really interested in those things. And so uh, we really built that store trying to um, really figure out what do we have here, you know. And so uh, at the time, we had three flavors that were dissolvable. Uh, like Kool-Aid mixes. Okay. And they were our most popular three flavors, raspberry, mango, and peach. And so that was problem number one with the business model for me. And so I didn't feel like we were being honest with our customers selling a dissolvable you tea. You were like brewing that kind of tea, that, That's right. right. I mean, so we had 18 flavors. 15 of them we brewed and okay. three of them we didn't brew. And those were the popular The ones. popular three, yeah. Obviously the most intense flavor profiles. Sure. And so uh, that was problem number one. And so we went to, to, to start to build these flavor profiles with some very uh, sophisticated tea connoisseurs and tr- try to figure out what do we have to do to actually brew real tea that has this intense flavor profile. And so now, obviously, we manufacture all of our own tea in bulk quantities for our stores and franchise locations and also in retail quantities for grocery stores, and we sell them online through Amazon and other websites. And so that was problem number one with the business model. In addition to building that location, that was one of the first things we had to figure out. And then after we got that store open, we had several other challenges, supply chain challenges, operational challenges. I mean, of course, we knew how to run a business, but if you want to expand this business, you've got to figure out how to build processes and systems to basically run the business without a lot of discretion from management. You sure. know what I mean? you got to build processes to, to run this. And so that's what we went into next. We started to build our processes and an operations manual and and then we decided, you know, this thing has legs. When we opened that prototype store, we thought, man, this is awesome. Um, it's 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 working. Let's let's take the next step. And so the next step is, what do we do? Do we build more corporate stores, or do we build a franchise system? And uh, obviously, there's challenges and and pros and cons to both. 
um, since there is no iced tea industry, uh, one thing that was important to me was we wanted to, to blitz the market and, and expand as rapidly as possible so that we were uh, not only ahead of the trend, but we would be the formidable force in the right. iced tea world. You wanted to be the Starbucks That's and right. not all the companies that came after Exactly, them. exactly. And so if in terms of building that from a corporate strategy, it would require us raising tens of millions of dollars and building internal infrastructure for operations. And, and so what I did, what we did was we started to, to consider franchising and franchising is uh, is, a, is an exciting business model and but it's very complex and and there's a lot of nuances in it you know we have to be real estate professionals and construction professionals and as well as operationally and so we decided that the only way to be first to market and be ahead of a trend and stay as the formidable ice tea force we were going to have to expand in a franchise model okay and so to back up, we also had one more challenge in Texas tea, and that was we only owned the Texas tea trademark in the Texas panhandle. Okay. And so we have prior use rights to Texas tea, which allows us by, by law or by case law to expand into a natural expansion area. But there was also a trademark filed about a year after we opened and, tra- and Texas Tea as a trademark was awarded to a different entity. Someplace else in That's right. Texas? It or? was actually in New Jersey. Okay, well, that it, makes it sense. Was, it was quickly, yeah, so it's tough to trademark a geographical name of yeah. any kind. And so I think this may have been strategy, although I don't, I'm not sure, but a, a company out of Austin quickly acquired the Texas Tea brand and started selling the bottled tea, as you see in the, in the, in the grocery stores. Okay. So we knew, I knew as we opened that store that one day this bottling company was going to come knocking on our door and figure out who we were because at the time, we th- I think we had seven or 8,000 Facebook followers, and this was back before Facebook was even popular. And, and when you search Texas Tea, you know, we popped up, especially in this area. And so we knew that was going to be a challenge. And so in 2013, I trademarked the name HTO, knowing that we would either – uh, form a licensing agreement with Texas Tea, or we would uh, uh, build our additional stores and our national rollout would be under a new name. Okay. And so sure enough, Texas Tea did come, and we uh, we successfully negotiated a license agreement with Texas Tea to basically expand nationwide with Texas Tea as the name. And ultimately, we decided against some of the final terms, which were, were very minute at the time, but if this thing were to really happen, then it wouldn't. It would be a, a this very small percentage of what it would cost us to keep the name would be a very significant amount of money. And so, we decided ultimately at the end to roll out with HTO. And so, we actually didn't make that decision until the eleventh hour on the signage at our franchise prototype store, which is right. in Midland. So. But if, if someone were to go to one of the HTO franchises, they're going to find pretty much what they would get at Texas Tea exactly. here in Amarillo. Yeah, like except the, now the we model. brew our three most popular flavors are all legitimately brewed, you know, broadleaf tea. So, okay. so yeah, that was uh, that was the the main thing. But yeah, they're identical, uh, just branding different. In fact, the cups are the same. As you can see, the bottles are the same. All right. And so, um, what, what does that franchise family, I guess, look like now? How many stores are there? How many different locations? Yeah, so that's a good question. We only have one store technically that's open, and that's the that's at the ballpark here in town. Okay. That's a franchise location, and that is absolutely an HTO franchisee. And uh, and then we have fourteen. Actually, we have fifteen under construction right now. Right. So we've got fifteen stores under immediate construction they're either in the permitting phase or they're actually building and moving dirt and so everywhere from lakeland florida to georgetown um we've got stores in uh, store in waco and uh, quite a few other cities in in texas and so um 
uh, in addition to the 15 stores that we have in our construction, we have 81 stores sold. Wow. Yeah. So with a little over 40 franchisees, 80 stores under development. And tell me what, like, like what's the sales pitch that, that you have, you know, as, as the, the guy who developed it, knowing that it just kind of developed weirdly here in Amarillo, there wasn't really a market for it. Like, what are you telling your franchisees about why this will work? Yeah, that's a great question. We had a very intentional rollout. Uh, we built the store as a franchise prototype store. I actually had all of our legal work done to launch our franchise sales the minute I opened the franchise prototype store in Midland. Uh, we had our, our logos, our branding. We had our legal paperwork. We had our operations manual. We were completely done with the concept, and I actually delayed open or, or launching the franchise uh, sales part of the concept until April. We, we opened the store in January. We didn't sell, start selling franchises in, until April, but it was a very intentional process. We built this as a franchise prototype model. All of our systems and processes are in place, and so really, it's you kind of have to see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely don't make any calls and say, hey, we got this great iced tea business. We get inquiries, and we say, have you been to the store? And if they haven't been to the store, that's step one. But really, our pitch is just the process. Our pitch is is the infrastructure behind our real estate development, our construction development, our operations. We have a marketing team and a marketing department, and we also have a supply chain company. So we actually have a distribution company. So one of the problems with this business model is we have about 500 different retail SKUs, between four and 500 retail SKUs. We're an authorized Yeti dealer, uh, which was a relationship I built through a personal friendship with the Cedar Brothers in Austin. And and so we, we're, we have all these different retail SKUs, you can't call one vendor to buy 500 different products that yeah. we've actually decided were were appropriate for our stores. So we have a lot of healthy snack options, Kind Bar, Cliff Bar, Pop Chip, Kettle Chip. Project 7 is one of our uh, vendors or one of our uh, products. And so you, you, there's no supply chain solution to that. So we actually built a supply chain company. We have warehouses. We have multiple warehouses. We're about to open a warehouse in Florida. We've got other warehouses I'm building in Fort Worth. and so. But then you funnel it all through your organization. That's right. Then. So that the store operator has two points of contact to open a store. They call um, their food service provider, which is just like Affiliated Foods or Benny Keith or U.S. Foods for their perishables, for their groceries, and then they call us for everything else. The infrastructure and the support behind that, as you know, I own a lot of different commercial real estate in town, and we we have a construction background, and so it just kind of all came together as this perfect kind of just preparation for this, you know, in terms of in the real estate world, you know, location, location, location. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that. We've taken a scientific approach to that. And we've broken it down to income demographics, population densities. We've got it broken down to speed limits and accessibility, visibility. Wow. We measure all these different things scientifically, and we provide that, obviously, to the franchisee and their and their hunt for real estate. In addition, we, we have massive uh, relationships with, with real estate developers all over the region and the state that know who we are. And so we activate those resources for the franchisees. And so it's not necessarily the business model. We don't say, hey, come check out our tea business. They see that. We have thousands of customers every day come through our stores. And those customers, it's a very social environment. And so people come in to get hugged and loved on. and. They come in to enjoy the experience, and so we don't really have to sell that part of it. What we've built was our product is the infrastructure to support the franchisee. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the draws of 
having a franchise is you don't have to build it from the ground that's up. Right. You come in and all the hard work has been done. Exactly. You just put it into place. Yeah. And so I think that's the vetting process for the potential franchisee is do these people really have their stuff together? Yeah. And so that's where we kind of shine okay. because that's what we've been focused on for so many years. So you, you know, it, it's it's in the process of starting. You know, with with the different uh, locations being built out and stuff. I mean, where where do you see this being in five years or ten years from now? What's the goal? So our our goal is to change the world. It doesn't necessarily uh, equate to numbers, but in terms of what we've seen in sales and development, and at this point, and and really throughout the entire process, we've been basically vetting potential franchisees. We haven't done a lot of selling, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. We're basically taking applications, making sure that you have enough capital to execute, making sure that you have some operational expertise, or at least have the potential to be trained. We have an owner-operator model, and so uh, we we make you operate the store um, as an owner operator, so it's sort of like Chick Fil A, yeah. but but not you know we we don't do a lot of multi unit developments. We do have one grocery store chain that's a franchisee. We allowed them to do seven stores right up the middle of the Metroplex. Okay, cool. Uh, but uh, in terms of operational, that's kind of what we're looking for. So in terms of uh, you know our growth strategy and our and our and our goals, we don't really have a goal in terms of numbers. Our goal or what we see though is with eighty stores under development, we have forty two I think franchisees. Those are forty two stores that are immediately under development. And so in addition to those forty two stores that forty two franchisees have, you either have a multi unit development or a two store package. Okay. So some people like for instance Abilene, we sold as a two store package. We didn't want multiple franchisees in Abilene. So we sold one person, two stores. And so in terms of that, we expect to open with 14 under construction. We expect to open six by the end of the year. And then we expect to open 15 to 20 next year. Okay. And then the next year we'll, we'll easily double that and probably open 50 to 80. All right. And so in three years we'll open 50 to 80. And then I, th- I think it may double or triple every year after that. How much of Amarillo is in the DNA of that store? You know, because you've obviously you've done the research into traffic patterns and speed limits and demographics and all that stuff. I mean, because it developed here, do you think there's something like about this community that that you're trying to find in other places? Absolutely, which is why we put our franchise prototype store, you know, 250 miles away in Midland. Similar community, but nothing like Amarillo, not exactly. And so we put that store there intentionally to understand exactly what your thought was and that was my concern is this because we know everybody in Amarillo yeah. and that because uh, people in Amarillo understand uh, iced tea or sweet tea and so uh, we also have uh, benefits to going further south where they don't actually have four seasons you know south of I-20 where Amarillo as you know does yeah. and so there's some pros and cons to Amarillo but we didn't know if that was the case or not the Midland store uh, does a significantly more amount of volume than the Amarillo store. Really? Yep. And so it's a it's a very exciting to see that success. And I think that's the reason we ultimately delayed launching the franchise sales is because we really needed to know for sure that this is what we wanted to do, you know, because this is not like, I mean, I, all of my businesses have always been owned by me. Losing my money is easy to do. I've done it. I'm very good at it. But losing someone else's money. And yeah. Because we have people cashing out 401ks and, and doing things that are, you know, they're cashing out their entire life savings that's a different that's a whole different ball game and so 
they absolutely supported us in Midland. But to answer your question exa- uh, directly is absolutely amaryllis DNA is in this concept. What we think is that, you know, this is just a good Southern community that embraces all things community and enjoys sweet tea. And I think this is more really about the experience than it is about the tea. And so we're going to take that experience and then let people decide for themselves if the product quality is there. And we, we have no doubt that that's what will happen. So, yeah, Amaryllis is definitely um, – uh, their DNA is definitely in the communities that we're looking for. And I think that, you know, through the South, our initial growth strategy is through the coastal bend, southeastern U.S., all south of I-20 if possible. Okay. And so it, and this this may be looking too far in the future, but but you sort of took a winding path to get to this point, you know, with multiple businesses and models. And do you feel like this is kind of the end point? You found your thing and you're going to do this and make this really big? Or, like, do you see other, you know, developing other franchises or other interests coming up? That's a good question. Uh, Depends. I mean, I still spend, you know, a lot of time with my family and I go, you know, I spend the weekends, you know, at home and undistracted. And so the goal is not necessarily to make a bunch of money. The goal is to to literally change the world and do something meaningful and impactful. And and really, if you see the smiles that come through the door, that's really what it's all about. Uh, I'm not in love with any particular business model. I'm just in love with business. And so, I didn't really have any prejudice towards any particular business, even though I thought I'll be a pilot and I don't want to be a construction as a young as a young man. Really, it's business that I'm in love with and people. And so I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, we're going to take this thing as far as it requires our assistance because that's the commitment that we had to make to the franchisee. And and as I said, we don't have that the stakes are so much higher now. Yeah, uh, you you touched on this briefly, but tell me just kind of your perspective of. Amarillo as a place to do business, to start a business, to try things, to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Amarillo is a very um, discerning market. They're very particular about product quality and food quality. And that's why you see a lot of concepts come and go. There's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in this town. Uh, As you know, we've got a lot of, uh, I think per capita, maybe our restaurants are higher than any place on the planet Earth. Yeah, I've heard that. But but I think that Amarillo embraces everyone. And then if you stick with it, I think they'll support you. If you don't, you know, mind your P's and Q's and, and really dot your I's and cross your T's, I think that they don't necessarily uh, tolerate it, you know? So I think it's a great place to test any concept. So for the past 15 years, the WT Enterprise Center has been helping local entrepreneurs create and grow their businesses. Amarillo is a really good place to start a business. I mean, that's what Justin's been talking about. And the Enterprise Center is at the heart of that. They've created this vibrant, collaborative ecosystem where startup and existing companies can emerge and grow. Companies from Sage Oil Vac and Altura Engineering Design to Blue Sage Pottery have all been clients at one point or another. They've been working with the Enterprise Center to take their business to the next level. So let's say you have a business idea, but you're not really sure where to start. Or you have an existing business, but you're going through growing pains. You're overwhelmed by things like funding or marketing or your business model or HR. The experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in that process. And they'll connect you to the right resources to grow your business. In fact, I believe so strongly in what they do that I actually serve as a volunteer mentor for Enterprise Center clients. You can learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Justin Howe of HTO. Justin, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. 
I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in however much detail you want to. This first one is just a question that I've asked you. What's your favorite flavor of iced tea? I'm real exciting. I, I love uh, unsweet regular. Regular? So <laughs> yeah. like that's that's the flavor that you're picking. Yeah, you're that's picking unsweet the, regular with lemon. You bet. Yeah. So nothing I love weird the, like the coconut. My second best or, would probably be unsweet watermelon, believe it or okay. not. Yeah, it's yeah, really good. But it's unsweet, not unsweet. the sweet tea. Yeah, I try not to drink calories. I, I, they don't I work for me. I respect that. Yeah. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? I know you've got a connection to Dickie's and to Buns Over Texas. Yeah, so, yep. so I bought, we bought the Dickie's franchise just to learn how to be franchisors. So I kind of ought to say Dickie's because we do such a great job over there and our team does an amazing job or, or Buns. But, that was just uh, kind of to learn that world, that's right? That's right, yeah, yeah. So we bought Dickie's literally to learn how to become a franchisor. I know how to run a restaurant. I know how to uh, you know run a business. I wanted to feel emotionally what it was like to have a royalty sucked out of your checking account on yeah, Friday and yeah. have a middle income manager tell us how to run our business. I wanted to feel those things so that we could be a better franchisor as, okay. a, as a business coach. Uh, but my favorite restaurant is definitely Thai Star okay. on the boulevard. Yeah. Which is like, that's the most legit Thai place in oh, the world. Tiny yeah. little it's awesome. hole. And- it's awesome, yeah. What does this area have too much of? Also, being in the restaurant business, I'd have to say restaurants. Too much restaurants and too much uh, blowing dirt. You mentioned the uh, per capita, more per capita restaurants than a lot of other places. Do you think that's justified? I mean, does does the traffic coming through this area on I-40 make that okay? Or do you think it's just a weird thing about Amarillo? Yeah, I think it's, um, I don't think the, the I-40 traffic count really, it, it helps. And there's a lot of restaurants down that corridor. But there are definitely struggling restaurants in town, and so it's there, there's quite a few that are healthy. And as I mentioned, the community will support you if you do a great job. But there are definitely restaurants that struggle, and as you can see, national brands that go out of business on I forty uh, almost every year. Someone else closes, and you can't believe it. So I don't think you, when you come to Amarillo, you don't realize if you're a national brand how particular our consumers are. They're educated and understand what they like. What does this area not have enough of? This was a, probably an answer differently six months ago, but the way that the community has supported the ballpark and the way that the community has supported a few entertainment venues that have just gone in on north of Sansi out there, um, I think that uh, if done correctly, I think that you could actually spend some money in this town on a legitimate entertainment type venue and be successful. It's something that everybody's kind of dipped their toe in the water with kind of a, a half-baked concept and they've tried and failed or they didn't understand demographics or the the economics at the unit level. But I think that the ballpark is definitely something that has has really uh, shown a lot of people the potential for this community to support something from entertainment venue. You know, I mean, I think the, the Performing Arts Center downtown did that many years ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, we should we should bring more national credited type entertainment uh, acts to town, and, and I think they'll be supported. There's something weird about why we don't see more national acts. Yeah, and I, I think it's a lot of it's a venue issue. Yeah, that I think we you're just right. don't have the size. Yeah. All right. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? So, I mean, obviously, you're talking to business people from here to Florida, um, and and I would imagine that Amarillo comes up, you know, as part of the concept. That, mm-hmm. that you Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest selling points we have is bringing people to Amarillo and letting them participate in the community and and see how friendly the folks are and and see how how well they support 
us and other and other concepts but Amarillo's is a, is a fantastic community uh, it's you know when you drive through Amarillo east to west you think it's just a flat nothing country uh, but I'm a pilot I'm a helicopter pilot and an airplane pilot I've been flying over this country for 15 20 years and just southeast of here is a huge canyon as you know Powder Canyon and north of here is the Canadian River Breaks yeah the country is fantastic and everybody thinks it's just flat dusty country but really the wildlife in this area and the in in the area is really unprecedented in any uh, geographic region so I think that Amarillo kind of gets kind of gets the bad end of the stick because people just drive through on I-40 and see flat country. All right. That's that's maybe the least interesting part of the area. That's right. That Absolutely. Right yeah, exactly. When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? I might have visited Cadillac Ranch as a child. And, of course, I've driven by it a hundred times, but I've never walked out there. You never stopped and gone no, out not, to the not, I think as a kid I did, yeah. Right. But I've never walked out there. I, it's, yep. it's one of those things that is not on the radar of locals. Yeah, yeah right. Is on everybody else's radar. Oh, man, radar. that line is long. You bet. What's your, uh, and this is, I'm going to go a different direction here. What's your favorite coffee shop in Amarillo? Well, I'd have to say Roasters probably does a great job. I'd have to say Roasters is my favorite, but we're actually developing a coffee concept here that's going to be a very small niche little shop uh, in our in our retail development over on Hillside. Uh, we believe that HTO will be a hybrid north of I-40, hmm. and we believe HTO will be a hybrid coffee slash tea business and okay. so we're experimenting with our own little coffee shop and that'll open hopefully in the early uh first quarter of next year will that be branded hto or nope. will it have something nope we're, we're working on a few names working through some trademark issues on a few potential names but and it's really a niche little shop it's not going to be a high okay. volume shop but we're going to have some co-working space there and some rentable conference spaces and office spaces there that you can rent by the month smaller office spaces and then have a little coffee shop up front is, is the coffee shop format dramatically different from you know a place that sells tea, or is it something yeah. different that you're having to learn? Yeah, it is de- it's definitely different. There's three different types of coffee shops. We're still trying to figure out exactly where we fit in, and so we're going to experiment here a little bit, and and uh, and so we're going to do some uh, obviously some espresso stuff and and some pour over stuff, but then we're also going to have some drip coffee as well, and maybe some pastries. But really, we're going to take what Starbucks did well was build a really good coffee shop, and now they're trying to they bought Tea Ivana as you know several right. years ago, and they tried to implement some tea. We're going to do just the opposite, where we're going to do tea really well, and we're going to do coffee well too. But it's going to we're going to be a tea business that sells coffee as opposed to a coffee business that sells okay. tea so what's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo I just think I think it's again you know when people move to Amarillo as a pilot you know you see different pilots come to town to do some work and nobody's excited to move here there's some uh, there, there's the perception that there's not a lot to do here but with the powder of Canyon if you like to spend times out time outdoors and then obviously there's there's all there's multiple options that are public access for the for people to go enjoy the outdoors I think that uh, absolutely uh, people give Amarillo uh, don't give them near enough credit for you know how much stuff there is to do here and that concludes the eight straight part of the show Justin I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something so what's something related to this area that you would want listeners to know about or to experience yeah i think uh you know definitely um hodgetown the new ballpark over on uh in downtown you know there was a lot of controversy over it uh the town has absolutely come out in full effort to support that that little team and it has been phenomenal to participate in uh we actually have a dickies kiosk there and an hto kiosk there 
and I mean, just unbelievable the work they did. The, 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 they, they did it right. They didn't half bake that idea. And I, and I'm familiar with the ownership group, DG Elmore, and they own five other professional teams and they are the kind of folks that will succeed in Amarillo. Did, did your relationship with them begin because you thought this is going to work and I want to be a part of it? I mean, is, is that kind of Yes. Yes. That uh, I guess a risk when a lot of yep. people were oh, not abs- certain about it. Absolutely but. a risk. We were, we were. Uh, it was for us. I mean, just the ignorance in understanding double A ball and understanding that there's only uh, each major league team only has three teams. They've got a, a the the major league team, a triple A team, and a double A team. So there's only 32 teams times three. You know, across the world, and those all those players here, they you know they work for the Padres, and so I didn't understand that aspect of baseball or didn't quite understand the minor league system and then just the fear of someone coming into town and not doing it correctly but the community supported them they put the capital that was required a few people a lot of people not a few people but a lot of people like us also took a risk on the on the ballpark and and it was done right i mean have you been it's 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 a blast all right justin howe thank you so much for being on the show i appreciate it thank you appreciate it And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Justin for the interview and to the WT Enterprise Center for sponsoring the show. Every episode of Hammerello is produced, written, and hosted by me, but it's edited every week by the multi-talented Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hammerello include Jennifer Callahan, Patrick Burns, Chris Selda, Katie Linger, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Corey Burns. Those names and my sponsors are some of the reasons I can keep producing this show for free every week. If you listen and you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash and you can become one of my supporters. That's Patreon with an E. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.